Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. All right. Hey, if you would take your seat, grab a seat, open your Bibles up to John chapter 11 this morning. John chapter 11. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. We want you to have the Word of God in your lap so that uh, you can follow along. Make sure, keep me accurate to what the Word says. So, uh, John chapter 11 this morning. You know, we're in the midst of one of the greatest stories ever told in the Bible, the resurrection of Lazarus. And uh, uh, we've split it up into four different um, sections. And uh, we've gone through the first two. Uh, two weeks ago, we went through John chapter 1, uh, John 11, verses 1 through 6. And uh, we looked at the, um, the whole uh, idea of what this miracle was all about. It's, it was a matter of glory. It was all about God working through Jesus to glorify himself and to elevate his son in the eyes of, of those around him. And also, the very same token as the Lord was doing that was a way for him to, to build the faith up of his followers, of the disciples there. And so, as we got into uh, verses 7 through 16 last week, we saw the message was entitled Faith to Follow, and Jesus was uh, telling his disciples that it's going to require faith in order to follow him, no matter where uh, he goes. And in particular, he's getting ready to go back to Judea, where the Jews are there waiting to kill him, and he knows that. His disciples know that, and yet he says, we're going to go back, and we're going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He, he, he tells them that he's going to go do that, and they need to follow him. Thank you. And so, Jesus is telling us the same thing, that you know it, it requires faith to follow him. Today, we're going to encounter verses 17 through 37. And uh, so stand with me, if you would, please. We're going to read the Word of God together. John chapter 11, uh, beginning in verse 17, we read, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Mar Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her, with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep uh, there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. 
And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind men also have kept this man from dying? And Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. Lord, it is our hope. It is what we place our faith in. Your word that you have preserved over thousands of years and that you've handed down to us today from heaven to earth. And it's about your son. It is the good news, the gospel, that Jesus Christ has come into the world to redeem us, to buy us back from sin and death. And we thank you so much for that that hope that we have in Jesus this morning, Lord. I pray that you would help us as we consider the context of the verses this morning as it relates to belief in who you say Jesus is and who he himself claimed to be, Father, that you would help us to see him as he truly is, the resurrection and the life. Help us, Lord, to believe that. May we just totally put our faith in him this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Spurgeon claimed that 98% of people that he met, including the criminals he visited in England's prisons, told him that they believed the Bible to be true, but the vast majority had never made a personal, life-changing commitment to Jesus Christ. That goes to show you that it's entirely possible to have knowledge about something and it not really make impact in your life. It's illustrated in our culture in so many ways. We know that smoking may cause cancer, right? And yet people still smoke. The information doesn't translate into transformation. We kind of live in this world where we say, maybe not me. We play the odds. And yet there are some things that there are no odds with. It's either black or white. It's 100% one way or the other. There are no odds to play. And that is what, that, as we relate it to the Bible, that's how it is. The truth that we find in the Bible is black and white. It's not playing the odds. You may or may not go to heaven. You either will or you won't. And it's all based on this idea of believing. What kind of belief might that be? The kind of belief that transforms your life. You know, when we think about belief, this system of ideas or, or an ideology that we're following, oftentimes it's, 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 it's presented to us as a noun. It's just a thing. We follow it. It's not, it's not really, you know, something that we apply to our lives. It's a system. It's, it's, you know, a creed. It's a statement. It's something that we believe in, but, we, but it doesn't make any effect on our life. It doesn't transform us. That is not the biblical definition of belief in the Bible. The biblical definition is a verb when it, as it relates to belief. It means that your life changes. If you truly believe something that the Bible says, it will affect your life. It will transform you. It will, you will become a different person. That's the kind of belief that I want to talk to you about today. The title of my message this morning is, Do You Believe? For it's one thing to gain information, but it's an entirely different thing to allow that information to move you to change. Biblical belief moves 
the needle of transformation in our lives. It makes us a new creation. That's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anybody's in Christ, if anybody has placed their faith in Jesus, their lives have changed. The old has passed away. Everything's become new. There's a change in your life. That's genuine belief. That is true belief in Jesus Christ. Biblical belief scales the wall of adversity. When things come into your path, difficulties or whatnot, biblical belief believes beyond that. There's, well, I'm going to scale the wall, and if not, I'm going to trust Jesus all the way through it. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It looks at the giant in your life, and it says, I will slay the giant. I will not bow to the giant. I will slay him. That is biblical belief, believing beyond what you see. That's the kind of belief that Jesus wants to talk to us about this morning, the kind of belief that produces hope in hopelessness. Jesus poses this question, do you believe to a woman who is in the midst of something incredibly difficult? Her brother has just died. Now, death to us is is final. It's one of those things that it is a black and white thing. It is, you know, when we think of death, there is a finality to it. It's, it is just, you know, you're, you're either alive or you're dead. There is no in between. When death strikes a person, it, 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 can, it can level them because, or, or those around them, because it's so final. It just, they're, they're gone. And there's nothing you can do about it. Her brother had just died. Her and her sister, Mary, uh, were just filled with grief. And yet what we find is a belief system. What we find is her believing in theology, which is a great thing. But the question is, does her theology transform her life in the midst of the difficulty? And I believe it does in this case. But in many cases, our theology is sort of rocked when something bad happens. If, we're not, if we don't build our house on the rock, if we don't build it on stable ground, the foundation is sure, then when difficulties come, the house will collapse. And that's oftentimes what theology is to people. The concepts that they believe, but really they make no impact in their life. There is no anchor to them. Jesus is the anchor. He is the one. And and she has a good theology. But what we're going to see in the passage is though, even though you can have a good theology, sometimes you don't have it all right. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. Our ways are not his ways. And so when we come to situations in our life, We submit ourselves to God and His will, and we ask Him, whatever you want to do in this situation, Lord, this is what I know the Bible to say. But Lord, I'm trusting you today to do whatever your will is, should you want to do that. We trust Him in the timing of those things, because the Word is true, and it will stand forever. And so what it says, we can apply to our lives, but we can trust God in the timing of it. And that's what we're going to see here. It's a glorious picture of biblical belief. It's not a perfect belief, but it is a biblical belief. And so there are four things that I want to point out to you, four questions as it relates to belief in our text this morning. The first is, do you believe that the Father will give the Son what, all that He asks? Do you believe that the Father will give the Son all that He asks? Look at verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, He found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, 
And Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been there, my brother would not have died. But even now, listen, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Here we find Jesus coming to awaken Lazarus. He had, he had not yet set his foot upon the path of Bethany, um, and yet he knew that Lazarus was already dead. We saw that last week. He told his disciples in uh, verses 14 and 15, um, it says, Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there. Listen, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And so uh, this miracle was a matter of glory. Again, we see that in verse 4. But uh, Jesus is going to use it to deepen the faith of his disciples here. And perhaps you find yourself in a difficult situation this morning like that, where the Lord is using it for his glory, but he's deepening your faith. It's what he uses trials for. That's why we can consider it pure joy because God, those things don't go to waste. Your trials don't go to waste. They are beneficial. They, are, they produce a steadfastness. They produce a hope in us that we can trust in God. G. Campbell Morgan said about trials, he said, Jesus often permits us uh, to pass into profounder darkness and deeper mysteries of pain in order that we may prove more perfectly his power. I like that. it's kind of similar to what Hudson Taylor said. Hudson Taylor looked at difficulties. He sees these difficulties afford him a platform in which to work. How do you view difficulty in your life? Do you view it as an inconvenience or do you view it as a platform that God can use to bring glory to himself? That's what they're meant to do. I promise you that God isn't up in heaven going, man, I, 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 I wonder, I, I, I'm just going to mess these people up a little bit, let them go through some difficulty, and it be no benefit to you at all. No, the Lord doesn't do that. God is trying to work in our world, and he's bound himself to certain things, and we may not understand all that. The, the devil ha- is the ruler of this world. Jesus has claimed that rulership, and yet he's yet to come and, and take it back, and one day he will. So we're in this period of time. It's kind of like when the President of the United States on November 8th will be president, but the inauguration isn't until January, right? Same idea. Jesus is coming back and he will claim that. But in the meantime, God is at work in the world through your trials, through your difficulties, allows the enemy to still operate it with some power. He allows him to do some things, but he is not sovereign. The enemy, that is, is not sovereign in what he can do to you. Everything passes by the desk of God. And God allows certain things in your life, listen, for the good of you. That's what the Bible says. Everything works out for the good of those who love him according, who are called according to his purpose. So, and so God, whatever you're going through today, as G. Campbell Morgan said, as um, you know, uh, Hudson Taylor said, as the Bible itself says, it's a platform so that God can get glory. And so that your faith can be deepened. So God is going to use uh, your pain, your, the, any dark place that you might find yourself in, to perform his perfect and profound power in your life. He's going to reveal himself to you in a certain way. And you can trust that and you can believe that. Jesus declares with perfect belief here, 
that Lazarus will rise again. It's not a question of if he will. He hasn't even left Bethany from across the Jordan. He's 20-some miles away when he hears that Lazarus is sick. And then he knows he's dead already. So he waits two more days. Remember that last week? And, and, and it was all for the purpose of dealing with this issue of this belief system, this theology, this, this more of a, uh, you know, I don't know, a myth than anything, that these, the Jews had believed that a, a spirit would hover over a body, a dead body, for three days. But after the third day, the spirit would flee because the body would begin to break down. And so what Jesus was doing was putting himself in a situation where it could be nobody else but God to do this. There could be no explanations because we are human beings and we like to explain miracles, right? We like to give logical uh, conclusions to miracles that happen. I was just watching something my cousin sent me the other day of a kid that um, was clinically dead for 20 minutes. 20 minutes. He's, he was in, in Texas and he, he had died and he said, I, I, I believe that I saw Jesus. And, you know, he told me, he told me everything's going to be okay. Put, and the kid was just memorized, you know, mesmerized. And in this world, you don't know, is that true or not? I'm not sure because there's so many false things that happen. The enemy ha ha muddies the waters as it relates to that. But here's what I know. The kid said that he had seen Jesus and his life is transformed. He's changed. His parents said, man, this kid is a different kid. And my guess is if you saw Jesus face to face, your life would be different. Ask the Apostle Paul. His life was totally different. Jesus has 100% confidence of knowing that Lazarus, although he is dead, he will rise again. And so he, he, he now uh, comes to Bethany, two miles on the west side of the Mount of Olives here near Jerusalem. And uh, um, he is now going to work in a miraculous way. Now, Jesus isn't the only one moving in this passage. Notice it also says that many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. This, this has something to do, the, the, the gospel writer John is trying to describe to us something about the family here. He's telling us, look, the fact that many Jews had come to console them would suggest that this family was a wealthy family, would suggest that they uh, were of some nobility of, in some sort, that people would come to console them because that didn't happen to everyone. It happened to those people that were notable. And so uh, he's trying to help us understand who this family is. In fact, uh, it's it, it said that Martha owned the city. It was Martha's city, Bethany. And so we don't know to what degree that means. But, but anyway, this family was of some nobility. And uh, so these Jews are coming to help console Martha and Mary. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that where you have to console somebody. I presume you have because 10 out of 10 people die. So I assume that you've, been, you've dealt with that in some degree in your life where you've had to come along some side of someone who is mourning the loss of their husband, their wife, their, their child, their, their friend, their, their cousin, whatnot. We've all been in those situations. And those are difficult situations. What, what, what can you say to somebody? How can you console them? You know, there are no human words that can bring comfort to a hurting person that has, is mourning in that specific circumstance. And so what we do is we rely on the Word of God. 
And it's the Word of God that brings comfort to people. God is the God of all comfort, 2 Corinthians 1 tells us. He is the God of all comfort, and He comforts people. So we don't have to figure out ways to comfort people. You know, it's nice for us to bring meals to people, to give hugs to people, to love on people, to just be present with them and all that kind of stuff. But this is what changes their life. This is what changes their life. If you find yourself in a situation where you need to comfort somebody, a couple passages you can bring them to. In fact, one of them specifically tells us that it's meant for comfort. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through uh, 18. Turn in your Bible there, if you would, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. It says this, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who have died. That's what that means. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will transcend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we... Uh, so we will always be with the Lord. Listen, therefore, encourage one another with these words. During times of, you know, obviously we, we're talking about a believer here, but during times of, you know, mourning, we can use God's word to bring comfort. That it's his word that helps people in those situations. And so, you know, oftentimes when I find myself in those situations, I don't know what to say to someone, but what I do know is that God does. And so I pray, I ask, Lord, what would you have me share with them? What would you have me to, to, to share with this person to bring them some encouragement, to bring them hope? And he'll give me a passage and I'll read them that passage. Sometimes I have no idea how he's going to comfort them through that, but that's what he told me to read. And so that's what I read. And so, you know, these Jews are there trying to bring comfort to um, Mary and Martha. Um, this a typical burial would happen. Immediately when the body was, when someone would die, their body was, was put into a tomb. The tomb was a cave primarily. If they, had, if they ha could afford it, they would have this cave and they would, um, you know, sometimes they would have a kind of a share, you know, they'd have multiple bodies in a cave. Maybe a family would bury their dead in, in a cave like that and they would roll a stone in front of it. If you had no money, you had no ability to do that, they would take your body to essentially the dump and they would burn your body there. You would just be thrown away as trash. And, um, and uh, the mourning process, it would be an intense, uh, intense mourning for seven days. They would sit and they would just mourn and they would oftentimes even hire mourners to come in and grieve with them to just, you know, to honor the person that had, had passed away. And I don't know how that brings comfort to, um, to the family because I know when I'm at funerals and people start crying, I start crying. So, you know, but, but they used to hire mourners, and these people would, prof professional mourners, that's what they did for a living. They were actors, essentially, and they could turn the tears on, you know. And uh, so they would do that for seven days, but the mourning process would happen up to 30 days. They would just go through this process where the, the family members of that, um, you know, the first seven days would be intimate with the family and the close friends and whatnot, 
And then there would be a 30-day process where people would just come and mourn and continue to mourn. And so Jesus shows up four days into this. So it's an intense time of mourning there. And uh, th this is where it gets interesting because when, when Martha hears that Jesus is on his way, it's like, and so he, he, she comes to him. Now notice Mary, this is true to form as far as their personalities go. Martha was someone who was busy and she wanted to be about, you know, she wanted to move around. And so it would be right for her to be the one to go out and meet Jesus along the way. And Mary, what, she was the one that was, seemed a little bit more conservative, a little bit more quiet. She would just sit and she would just mourn the death of her brother. And so Martha tells us here, comes to Jesus, and, and she says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Here's what we know. Oftentimes, you know, when we encounter these situations with, where difficulty arises, you know, faith is rocked. But here we find Martha has some faith. She says to Jesus, had you not died, had you not, um, if you had come, he wouldn't have died. So she believed fully in Jesus' power to be able to, you know, help, help her brother, to heal her brother of this sickness, right? And so um, there is faith present in this situation, and that's all that Jesus needs, by the way, is a little faith. But here's the thing. What we know is that Jesus doesn't necessarily need to be physically present in order to do a miracle, does he? Because if he had, had to be physically present, we would all not experience miracles because he's not physically present here. But he is present. And yet we see this totally, uh, clearly, as Jesus was on earth. In Matthew chapter 8, when the centurion had come to Jesus and he said, Jesus, my slave is sick. Would you come? Um, you know, we, I need you to heal him. And Jesus said to him, I will go with you. And the centurion said, whoa, I'm not noble enough to have a man of your stature in my home. Just say the word and it will be done. And Jesus said, my goodness, if only the Jews would believe like this. This is the kind of faith that I'm looking for. Those that would believe beyond any shadow of a doubt that I can do whatever uh, it needs to be done without physically being anywhere because I am present always everywhere. But I don't have to physically be there. And so we see in that, in that account that the centurion's slave was healed at the word of Jesus some distance away. And so sometimes, even with the little faith that we have, Jesus, I believe that you can heal. I believe that you can. And if you had only been here, it would have happened. And so faith breaks down in that moment. But there is enough faith there for God to do something. You know, faith of a mustard seed. It's our belief, you know, it's, it's, it, God looks at our, our, you know, are you really believing in me? Are you 100% trusting in me to whatever degree you can? You know, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief, right? Are you not ever in those situations where you say, Lord, I believe that you can do anything? But help my unbelief in this situation. That's where I find her. Jesus, I believe had you been here, you could have stopped this from happening. And yet, check this out. Yet I believe that anything you ask of your Father, you will be given. Anything you ask. So I believe that there's still hope here because you're present, Jesus, and I believe the Father listens to you. I believe the Father will give you 
everything that you ask. Let me ask you a question, Christian. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the Father gives the Son whatever He asks for? Whatever He asks for. Listen, I challenge you to go through the New Testament and look at everything Jesus asked for and see if it was done or not. You will not find a passage in the Bible where Jesus asked for something and it was not done. Why is that important? Because Jesus prayed for you. Jesus prayed for you specifically in John chapter 17 in the high priestly prayer. And he said some things that I think that you probably want to receive this morning. He tells us a couple things that are very vital to us, I believe, as a body. The first thing that Jesus asked for in his high priestly prayer for you and I to his Father, which whom he gets everything he asked for, was unity. He said, Father, in John chapter 17, verse 11, he said, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Why isn't the body of Christ unified? Because Jesus asked for it. Therefore, we have it. Because we're not receiving it. What are some other things in that same light? Jesus goes on in John chapter 17, verse 13. He said, but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they, what? May have my joy fulfilled in their lives. Are you empty of joy this morning? Jesus asked for you to be filled with joy. You can have that joy. You just have to reach out and receive it because Jesus gets what he asks for. He asked for protection from the enemy in John chapter 17, verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Listen, if you're struggling today and you're feeling beat up from the battle, proclaim these words that Jesus asked his Father upon your life today. Keep me from the evil one, Lord, and watch him flee. Because Jesus asked for it. John chapter 17, verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. To be set apart. To really apply the word of God in your life because it's truth. Jesus asked for that in your life. That you would be set apart. Lord, help me to be holy. Literally, to be set apart. To be sanctified. Help me in that, Lord. Because I believe in your truth. So help me to receive your truth this morning. Jesus asked for it. It's a matter of us receiving it in our lives. It's there for you today. He said specifically for you and I. You and I specifically were in the Bible. John chapter 17, verse 20 and 21. He said, I do not ask for these only, speaking of his disciples that were present during that time, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you and they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is just a sample of the things that Jesus asked for for you. And if you're lacking today, perhaps it isn't. It's because you don't believe Jesus gets what he asked for. You've got to believe it for your life. It can be, you know, are you looking at the Word of God with the kind of belief that's a noun? It's just a statement. Or are you looking at it with the kind of belief that's a verb? That's mine, and I'm taking it. These are the promises of God for you. Believe in them. In the verb, let them transform your life. Receive them in. Martha was telling Jesus, I have faith. 
I have faith that even though the situation looks grim, because remember, in their day, four days after someone was dead, probably I mean, they're not coming back. The spirit's already gone, right? <laughs> the spirit left the moment the person died, but anyway, regardless of that, you know, culturally, after three days, they thought the spirit, so shit, she's believing beyond what she's seeing. She has some faith. Do you? Do you have the same kind of belief this morning that Jesus gets what he asks for? Why can we believe that way? Jesus goes on here. He tells us in verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Don't you love when Jesus tells you something you already know? Don't, don't you love that? Like when you're praying to God and you're saying, Lord, I need help in this situation. And you're praying and he, and he just says, well, well, yeah, here, you know, just, just do this. You know, what Philippians 4, you know, just Philippians 4, 8 it, man. Just, just meditate on things that are um, true and trustworthy and noble and all these things. And, and you know, you won't be anxious. So, so, you know, just do that. Lord, I already know that. Like I want something, I want something like, I want the heavens to open up. I want you to impact my life in like a miraculous way. Not your word, but his word is miraculous. His word is active and alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so when he gives you his word, even if it's something that you've heard before, don't let the familiarity rob you of what he wants to do in the situation. That's what happens here. And I promise you it happens in your life. When you hit difficulties, when you hit the wall with something, you go, yeah, I've heard that one before. I'll receive that later. Like oftentimes when God speaks into our lives, we're not thinking in the here and the now. We're thinking, well, that's future. But what if he's thinking now? In this situation, when Jesus said, your brother will rise again, he was thinking presently today. She was thinking, her theology told her, she has great theology. She's not a Sadducee. Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection. That's why they were so sad, you see. But they, the Sadducees didn't believe in that. She was not a Sadducee. She believed in life after death. She believed that there was a resurrection. She had really good theology. But she was questioning the timing of God. Oh, that's in, that's in the last days, though. Oh, I believe that, Jesus, but that's in the last days. What are the things that you're believing like that for in your life? You know, oh, I'll, I'll be set free one day. You know, the, the struggle that I have with sin, you know, today, presently, will, will go away when I'm issued my new body. Why not today? Because the Bible says if the sun set you free, you're free indeed. So why not receive it today? And there are, there are many things that we look at as it relates to that that we have really good theology about. Like they're, they're biblical, the thinking is right, but, but we're... We don't have enough faith to believe in the timing that it's for now. And I'm telling you that God is God of yesterday to today and forever. He doesn't change. That he wants to work today, right now in your life. Do you have the faith to believe him in that? Do you believe that he's the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that Jesus has the power to do whatever it is that you're struggling with in your life right now, today? What does the word of God say about it? And receive it in your life. Because God's promises are oftentimes future, but they're, they're also partially fulfilled in the present. So there are many things that I think that we rob ourselves out of 
Because we're thinking later. And Jesus is thinking now. Jesus is thinking right now. He goes on to tell her um, why we can believe in him. He looks at verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming to the world. Now, Jesus gives us the reason why we can believe for the things that he declares to us because he is the resurrection and life. When he said, I am, you guys know this, that means that he's God. That's a claim of deity. That means, you know, yes, he is the Son, and yes, the Son gets what the Father, what, what he asks the Father for sure, but he's also God. He's also part of the Godhead, the triune Godhead. He is he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is part of that. So there is a deity there. So what, what I say is when he says something, it matters. Jesus is the Word of God. The Word of God is spoken by Jesus. These are his words. And so his words matter. And, and so when he declares something here, like I am the resurrection and the life, we can believe it. Because he is describing to us, I have the, number one, I have the authority to be the resurrection and the life because I'm God. I have the ability to be the resurrection and the life because I'm God. I can do these things. Do you see me as that? Do you believe? He asks Martha. This is the fifth of the seven I am statements that are made in, in John's gospel here. Jesus is saying, I'm God. Martha needs to understand who Jesus is fully. That he is not only the Son of God, but he is also God the Son. And so oftentimes, in our world, in our culture today, that's disputed and questioned and we don't get it. But again, I lead you right back to the same place. You know, if we can explain God, then he's not God. If we can use our human terms to understand who God is, He's really not that big. That's why things like this boggle our minds because we don't understand it. How can, how can God be three people but be one person? How does that work? I don't know, but I believe it because the Word of God says Jesus is God. And that makes a difference because Jesus, you know, and we see it even in the passage, the way that they declare Him. He is Lord. Now that word means he is supreme, that he is Lord. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And so he tells Martha here that she can trust in him because of who he is, that he is God. And not only that, that he is the resurrection and the life. Now, I, I love, uh, Jesus goes on here, he says, whoever believes in me. Again, this kind of belief that he's talking about here is not simply a flippant, yeah, I believe that Jesus lived. Yeah, I believe that Jesus died and, ro and rose again. This is an active belief, receiving that in your life. Not just, not just, it's not an intellectual knowledge because as we already know, information doesn't necessarily translate over to transformation, does it? So that's why the saying in our world, in our culture is that People can miss heaven by six inches, the distance between from the head to the heart. Because oftentimes people believe 
in, as a noun, theologically, you know, intellectually. I, I believe what it says there, but it doesn't translate into my heart. You have to believe in your heart, Romans 10.9 says. If you confess with Jesus, um, Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's a heart knowledge. It's not a head knowledge. It's a, and what that means is that the, the heart for the Jew is the center of everything. It's the mind, the soul, the, the emotions, everything. He's saying you're believing there, and that's when you receive me, when you believe with everything. It's, it's really a matter of belief in this, in this context. is really a matter of surrender, and it's a matter of receiving. God, I'm, I'm believing in who you say you are, and I'm committing my life to that. And therefore, I'm going to live my life that way. It's not so much about the confession of information, but it's more about the transformation that takes place. That's how you know you're saved. That's how you know when your life transforms. You can't be in relationship with Jesus Christ and your life not, not change. You know, I said the passage earlier, 2 Corinthians uh, 5.17, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. When we talk about in John chapter, I think it's John chapter 4, about being born again, Nicodemus, maybe 3, I'm not sure, but it's one of those chapters. But, um, you know, where Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, what do I do to be saved? He said, you must be born again. You have to be born again. How am I born again? By believing in Jesus Christ. Who can believe in Jesus Christ? Whoever. Whoever desires can believe in Jesus. That's what he's saying here. Whoever believes in me. Whoever believes Listen, though we may die physically, we're all going to die. We all have an appointment with death. Listen, we may die physically, but listen, yet shall he live because Jesus came to bring life and that more abundantly. He is the giver of life. And when we believe in him, he gives us life. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He's referring to something which is in the Bible called the second death. We're all going to die physically, he says, and yet some shall surely live. And yet some shall surely die is the opposite of that, and that is also true. Because the Bible talks about a spiritual death that happens. It's a second death where those who have not placed their faith, who have not believed in the sense of biblical sense of believing in Jesus will be separated from him for all of eternity. It's your choice. Jesus isn't responsible for what you do with this information. He loves you. He wants you to believe in him. He desires for you to live. But ultimately, it's your choice. He's not going to intervene and force you to believe in this way. Do you believe this? He's not just posing that question to Martha. He's posing that question to you. Do you really believe this? Do you really believe that if you put your faith in Jesus, that when you die, you shall surely live? I hope you do. I hope you do. And if you don't, God wants to give you the faith to believe it today. He wants you to believe in him in that way. Because that's the only way to get on the right side of resurrection, which is eternal life through Christ Jesus. It's present for you today. I got all these questions. 
take your questions to the Lord, but act by faith. Let it be a verb in your life and declare today that I want to believe that way. Even if I don't understand it all, Lord, I'm going to just receive it and, and I'm trusting in your word. We all were there one day. We all came to that place in our lives at some point where we said, you know what? I don't understand it all, but I, but I know enough to know that that's what I need. And God has put that knowledge in you. You really don't need to. In fact, Romans chapter 1 says we, we don't even really need uh, someone to come and tell us about who God is or anything because we can just look around. And he's put the knowledge in us to know him. He's put the desire in us to know him. And so that if that desire is in your heart today and you're not sure, I don't know if, I, if I've ever believed that way, reach out to him today. Receive him into your life. Believe in him in the biblical sense of the word where you're just saying, hey, Lord, I don't have it all figured out, but today I'm going to reach out to you because I know your arms are extended down to me and I'm reaching back up and watch him meet you. And when he does, your life will never be the same. It will never be the same. I didn't know anything about him. All I knew is that I was a sinner. I was going to die and I was afraid. And man, I didn't want to face death by myself. I didn't want to face the grave because I knew that my good works weren't enough. In your heart of heart, you know that already. He's put that knowledge in you. And he's saying, you know what? All, I, what I did was I just reached out to him in the bedroom uh, midnight at my house in my own bedroom, not in a church or anything. I knew Jesus died for me. I knew he rose again from the dead for me. And I just put my faith in him, not even fully comprehending anything about who he was. You have more information right now than I did when I came to Christ. And I'm telling you, that night my life radically changed and I was totally different. And every other believer in this room tonight can tell you the same thing today. I don't even know where I am. Get so captivated with the Lord. Listen, it's belief. It's belief. You, you, act, you walk by faith in so many different ways in your life. And God is telling you the most important way to act by faith is this way, to believe in me. Do you believe? And she said, yes, Lord, I do. I do believe you say who you say you are. You, I do believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. I do believe in you. Be like Martha. Answer the question the way she did. Brings us to the next point, verse 28. When she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying, private, saying in private, Teacher, the teacher is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would, have not, would, have, uh, would not have died. Here we find Mary. Totally different personality. Totally different posture than Martha, but the same words. But the same words. What I can gather from that is that our attitude and how we deal with our stuff affects one another 
It was Martha, probably, that said, if only he would have been here, it would have been all different. If only Jesus would have been here, it would have been all different. And that's how she was dealing with her grief. If only Jesus would have been here. And, and here's Mary just sitting at her feet. This is speculation, obviously. She's sitting at his, at, just sitting, at, sitting in her house, mourning, hearing the words, if only he had been here, if only he had been here. And the first thing she says to Jesus, if only you had been there. She believes in him. I know who you are, Jesus. If only you had been here. And she falls at his feet, says the same thing Martha says. She knows that Jesus could have mitigated the situation had he been there. But the question posed here is this. Do you believe that there is hope beyond what you see? We don't see, Mark, we don't see Mary say, but what I know is that whatever you ask, you get. Maybe Martha never verbalized that. But what we see Mary here caught up in the moment, the morning, saying, Lord, if only you had been here. And some of you were there today. And you're looking at Jesus in that way, and you're saying, if only you had been here, Lord, you could have done something about it. But now all hope is lost. What can you do with this now? It's a mess. You know, my relationship's a mess. You know, I've been trying to do my best with my kids, but they're a mess. If only you had been here earlier. Now, God can do anything. It's to believe God for the impossible. That's who he is. He's the God of the impossible. And there's always hope in your situation. Mary, Mary, come on. Come on, you've sat at my feet. Do you not know that I could do anything in this situation? If only you had been here, Lord. It's, she has some faith, and she comes with that faith. But again, she's not believing him for this moment, that he would do it now. Don't allow your circumstances ever to dictate to you the outcome of any situation. You just have to believe beyond what you see, Christian. That's what faith is. Believing without seeing. And when God doesn't do it the way that you wanted him to do or the way that you asked him to do, you just trust him even more. You just say, Lord, I'm going to trust you with this. I'm going to ask you for healing, but if you don't heal, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to ask you for, you know, the relief in this situation. But if you don't give it, I'm going to press in further, Lord, and I'm going to trust you. It's believing in him beyond what you're seeing. Because he's at work. And he's sovereign over your situation. And he's trying to do something in your life. And I promise you, he's trying to do something in other people's lives that are on the fringe of your life, watching you. So trust him. Beyond what you're seeing. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews that had come with her also weeping, he was moved in his spirit and greatly troubled, and he said, where have you laid him? And he said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? 
But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Let me ask you, do you believe that your weeping moves Jesus to tears? Do you believe that your weeping moves Jesus to tears? That, that this, this, the, the sign of intimacy between you and the Lord. Like when you're down and you're, and you're you know, downtrodden and you're just bummed out, and you're crying before the Lord, do you think that affects him at all? Or is he like, stop your whining and get up and let's go? No, no, that's what we do, right? But yet the weeping of those whom God loves move him to tears we see here. Don't think your tears go unnoticed. Jesus sees them. And in fact, not, he doesn't only see them, but the Bible says he bottles them up. He bottles up your tears. Psalm 56, 8 says, you have kept count of my tossings. He, he keeps count of the, your, your sorrows. Nothing that you experience, any sorrow that you experience in your life, uh, you know, it doesn't go unnoticed by the Lord. He knows the number. That's... That's number 56. That's how intimate he is with you. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. And they are, are they not in your book? Has he not kept track of every tear that you've shed in this life? The word of God says he has. God sees your tears. He cares for you. Talk about intimacy. That your tears are not just noticed, but they are kept track of, even to the point that Jesus himself is moved to weep. Here we find Jesus surrounded by weeping and mourning, all a result of sin. The very reason why he is standing physically present in that situation, clothed in flesh, because of sin. To buy back that which was lost. And in this moment, it says that he was moved deeply in his spirit so that he was greatly troubled. Now that sounds so, like he was just broken. But do you know what that means? He got angry. He was indignant at this situation. It's like Jesus in this moment just had a rage of, of just wanting to take the devil and crush his head right, right there in that moment. He wasn't angry with the people. He was angry with sin. He was angry with death. He was angry with the devil. He was moved with indignation. He was moved. He was troubled greatly. He was outraged. And what I want you to notice is when Jesus is like that, he springs forth in action. What does he say next? Where have you laid him? I will crush the devil right now. I will do it right now. Where is he? What's up, dude? You know, that's how Jesus is coming out of this situation. He is upset with this situation. He loves these people greatly. It's like the OK Corral showdown, man. Jesus is going to show the devil and death who's boss here. So they bring him to the tomb. And his emotions change in the moment. He is caught up in, in watching just death. This is what sin does. Produces death. It produces death. And that grieves my heart. And Jesus began to weep. And what it's not a not a, an outward, you know, like he's not like, you know, mourning like these guys are mourning, you know, wailing and, and, and crying like that. He just 
He's just standing there, and, and as you've seen, and, and maybe you've done yourself, not making a sound, but tears just start streaming down your face. That is what he is doing in this moment. He's standing before the tomb with these people mourning behind him. He, he's angry at this, this, the, the fact that sin has come into the world and ripped off his creation, just devastated these people, and it hurts his heart to the point that he starts to weep over it. He's broken over it. And these guys look at him and go, wow, he must have really loved Lazarus. No, he must have really loved all of us. Because these tears were not just tears for Lazarus. These tears represent every single human being that has ever been born or will ever be born. Jesus weeps for all of us. He cares for you. He's weeping even for the lost today. That aren't, in, that aren't in his kingdom, that don't know him as Lord, that maybe even to the point that they are you know, shaking their fist at God or don't choose not to believe in God, whatever the case is, he is weeping for them because he cares. He loves them so greatly. He loves us so greatly. These are not tears of hopelessness. Jesus knows that what he's about to do, he's about to conquer death with his voice and eventually he will conquer death with his his own life but he's going to show everybody there that's why these jews are there it's not coincidence that's why he waited two extra days so that the crowd could gather so that there could be many people there that could watch him have power over death because he is the resurrection and the life jesus it's never a hopeless situation with him. But what I want you to know is he doesn't lose sight of intimacy in the midst of his sovereignty either. We can come to the Lord with this kind of utilitarian mindset. Again, a, I think more of a, a belief as a theology rather than a, as a transforming power in your life to where we, 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 we know that God is in control. And so we look at our situations and just go, he, he's, he's at work, and I, I know that he's doing this, but he doesn't really care about what's going on in my life. Oh, he cares. Oh, he cares greatly. In fact, I'm of the mindset, you know, and this is my own personal opinion, that God is in heaven weeping over you today. I, don't, I think that this is a representation of how God looks at our sorrow. I think he looks at it in the same way. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he wept here. Why don't you think he would weep for you? Because you mean that much to him. God cares about every situation you're going through. And you know what? I believe he rejoices when you rejoice. And I believe that he weeps when you weep. He is an intimate God and he loves us. Do you believe? Do you believe that? Do you believe? That your weeping moves Jesus to tears. Do you believe that he cares for you that much? That's your God. That's who he is. That's your Savior who came to save you because he cares for you. He wants to give you life and that more abundantly. And he has the power and the ability to do it because he is the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning and for the encouragement you are to us, Lord that no matter what we find ourselves going through today, 
oh Lord, that we could trust you and know that you're at work, that you care about it, that you're excited with us because of the great things that are happening and you are also mourning with us over those things that are most troubling in our lives today. Would you help us, Lord, to believe in you this morning in areas that we're not with that true biblical genuine belief that we talked about this morning? The belief that's a verb that transforms our lives, Lord, that we would receive you into areas in our life that we are powerless this morning, that we would believe that you could set us free, Lord, that we would believe beyond the hurts that we're going through right now, Lord, that, uh, you know, whatever we're encountering in our life that's causing sorrow, that we would believe beyond it today. Lord, we would believe for the best and that we would invite you into those places, Lord, that we would hand them over and we would receive what your word says about those things today, Lord. Help us to believe that way. Not just now, but forevermore. Lord, we know that you want to work. We know that you want to bring comfort. We know that you want to transform our life. And it's a matter of belief. And so this morning, Lord, we're just reaching our arms back up to you. And we say, Lord, we believe. And if that's you this morning, I want you to just reach up to the Lord. Like a little kid would reach up to his father. You just reach up to him today. And he knows what you're reaching up to him for. Some of you for belief, some of you for for salvation this morning, you're saying, Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ died for me, that my sin has kept me away from you, Lord, but I'm believing today that you have come for me. I'm turning away from my life of sin, I'm turning to you today, Lord, and I'm believing in you, and your arms are raised in that way, and I'm confessing my sin, and I'm turning away from it, and I'm receiving Jesus as my Savior in belief that he died and rose again from the dead. And some of you have your arms raised high this morning because you're saying, Lord, I'm going through a tough time right now. Lord, you know. And I'm asking you to just meet me where I am, Lord. I don't even know what to ask for, but I'm asking. And watch the Lord meet you there. Whatever the case might be this morning, Lord, we reach up to you, knowing that your arms have always been extended down to us. We're believing in you today, Lord. We're asking you to work in our life. And we thank you in advance for all that you're going to do. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for loving us that way. And we thank you for the faith that you give us to believe. And so continue on, Lord, as we close in this song. Would you just continue your work in Jesus' name? Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.